0: This is what they do when they want you to quiet down, when they want you to stop being an activist, when they want you to stop exposing them to the public.
1: Welcome to kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison
2: walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words
1: across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements.
3: In Indianapolis in 2019, seven prisoners died in the two Marion County Jail facilities. Deaths included the alleged suicide of Anne Ottinger, 24 years old, in April. Brandon Thompson, 29, collapsed at the end of December after being arrested in October for theft and marijuana possession. In December 2019, three Central Illinois prison guards were indicted for their role in the death of prisoner Larry Irvin. They are accused of civil rights violations and obstruction of justice in Irvin's brutal beating which led to severe internal injuries. Irvin was beaten and killed while handcuffed, and the three prison guards filed false reports afterwards to conceal the incident. Many such deaths are successfully covered up, so a prosecution of guards on this scale is notable.
1: We have an update from the Atlanta chapter of the Incarcerated Workers Organizing Committee regarding the phone zap we mentioned in a recent episode. They write, quote, Thank you so much for your participation in the Phones app a few weeks ago for the 16 hunger strikers that came together selflessly for others in the mental health units at Central Prison in Raleigh, North Carolina. After some much-anticipated updates, we found out that the hunger strikers are safe and the conditions improved in some ways. We were informed that in the first week, the warden and others from the administration came down to pull a couple of hunger strikers out. Some of them may have taken food. Others remained on hunger strike until January 26th. Five prisoners were released who originally had been told before the hunger strike and phones app that they had to serve yet another 90 days before being considered for release from solitary confinement. By two of them getting released, they will be able to earn gain time merits and will be released from prison in March. The three others were approved for the TOU program, which is very difficult to get into. They had been held in solitary confinement for over three years, and this program is set up as a transition program for prisoners who suffer from mental disorders. Who wouldn't after years of solitary confinement? Inside sources say the excessive use of mace has ceased, for now. The warden claims that he was unaware of the excessive use of chemical mace, and he assured that any officer using the mace in an excessive manner would be harshly punished. They replaced the unit doctor with one that enjoys helping us with our medical issues. In the past week, this doctor has answered more people's sick calls in one week than the last doctor could in several months' time. Also, there have not been any issues now with prisoners receiving their self-medications. Sometimes it is hard to see the effectiveness through one call, but with hundreds of calls coming in at the same time, the prisons are put on the spot in the public eye to answer the demands of those inside, and we won't stop until they are met. We thank you for keeping the calls going for weeks, awaiting updates we had to keep going strong in solidarity with those inside. Inside, outside, all on the same side, Atlanta Incarcerated Workers Organizing
3: Committee. Mississippi has what amounts to debtors' prisons and African-Americans constitute the majority of the inmates. In Mississippi, people spend time in jail while they work to pay off court-ordered debts. The jails are called restitution centers. African-Americans constitute 38% of the state's population, but 49% of the inmates at the restitution centers. Half the people housed in the centers had debts of less than $3,500 in a study by the Marshall Project and Mississippi today. Inmates spent an average of almost four months and as much as five years at the centers, which forced them to work at low-wage and occasionally dangerous jobs such as slaughtering chickens. Private citizens also hire them to do such jobs as landscaping. Between 2016 and 18, center inmates made an average of less than $7 an hour in take-home pay. Only a fourth of the money the inmates earn goes to pay restitution. The rest goes to the corrections department and the courts. In some instances, the courts add such debts as child support. One man's charge for meth possession became a debt of over $72,000.
1: We start this episode with two pieces from Muti Ajamu Useburu, whose work we've shared recently on KiteLine. According to our friends at the prison radio show, Mooty is a prisoner currently incarcerated in Pennsylvania. He was sentenced to life without parole as a teenager. Despite the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court has decided that it is unconstitutional to sentence teenagers to life without parole, Mooty remains incarcerated. Here are his news commentaries from October 2019. Two pieces, one called Two More Child Deathers Vindicated Media MIA and another called What About Innocent Child Deathers?
2: Two more child deafers vindicated, white media MIA. Terrence Lewis walked into the warm Delaware sun like it was a dream, allowing the soothing beams of light to wash and caress his entire face, especially that uncontrollable broad freedom fighter smile as he walked out of Chester Prison, located in Chester, Pennsylvania, a 25-minute drive from his West Philadelphia home. This was Lewis's exoneration walk and he had not seen home in over 21 years. That time had been robbed from him by corrupt prosecutors and police. Lewis, along with Johnny Barry, 25 years of illegal prison, make up two child deafers that have been freed in a series of 10 exonerations in seven months. The most recent was two weeks ago, Will Vizi, after 27 years of illegal imprisonment. We called him Big Will, as our cell block made on B Block at Grady Ford Prison. Lewis and Barry are a particular focus, not because they are both former child deafers, but more importantly, the white and Negro media intentionally refused to admit that they were children and to connect the word innocent with their childhood status that was brutally and systematically snatched from them by corrupt Philly prosecutors and police. The combined illegal time served by Lewis and Barry is nearly 50 years, which is the time in life when most white people are cruising into retirement. White adults get retirement and black and brown children get decades of false imprisonment. To redress this ongoing American court horror story, I initiated hashtag black child lives don't matter. Blunt to be blunt. The lives, rights, and liberty of black and brown children don't matter in the courts. Not in Philly, not in Pennsylvania, and certainly not in America. Therefore, our lives require a holistic, aggressive, radical redress. Thusly, hashtag Black Child Lives Don't Matter is a cultural, political, and spiritual initiative out of our court restorative justice movement, which is designed to free all black and brown children who are innocent with the evidence to prove it, but still have been sentenced to death by incarceration. Free them by exposing the false and fake child advocates and their historical and contemporary incestuous and cancerous relationship with these organizations and individuals have with prosecutors that not only help to inject this cancer, but spread it within the legal body of rights of black and brown children specifically, and poor white children in general. These hypocritical so-called child advocates defend, maintain, and perpetuate turning black children into child deference, in part as genocidal population control, that is, kill the body by mummification.
1: State Correctional Institution, Rockview. This call is subject to recording and monitoring.
2: That is, kill the body by mummification, but keep it alive, and community cultural destabilization that is castrate the combat and moral compass and menticidal social misorientation, kill the mind and make the black face a white supremacist to perpetuate white innate psychopathy. Stand with us as we expose this all over Pennsylvania, as well as all across the country, from deep down south, way up to the Midwest and Northwest, from the West Coast to the East Coast and back again free all child deafness, and expose and in jail these fake-ass children advocates that truly hate black and brown children with an unmatched passion. From the bowels of America's terror dome, I am Moussi Saburu, a child on Pennsylvania's other death row, death by incarceration, engineered by the city of Philadelphia. Kebuka, Sasa, Harambe. And
1: up next, we have another piece called... What about innocent child deathers?
2: What about innocent child deathers? Kebuka, remember the Maiafa, dear ones. Hotep, to the children who simply want to be free from police violence, to my comrades, supporters, families, friends, freedom fighters, human rights activists, revolutionaries, restorative justice soldiers, writers, artists, radicals, entertainers, street and academic scholars, and for the beautiful unnamed ones. You are here because we are freedom loving people, wanting nothing more than to be free from the immoral sentence of death by incarceration. On this October 23rd, 2019, we must be bold. At this critical juncture, in order for us to successfully move forward, we must first comprehend from where we first came and why we came. We must ask and answer the question, What about innocent child
1: deference? This is a call from Pennsylvania State Correctional Institution, Rockview. This call is subject to recording and monitoring.
2: To do this,
1: some truths must be spoken
2: that are uncomfortable for some, but fresh, clear, cold water for those of us who have been toiling in the desert of the real for nearly four decades without relief or even mention of this unrelenting, unspoken injustice. Innocent child deference. We are deference, not life. I coined the phrase death by incarceration over 25 years ago to expose the fact that black and brown children who are actually innocent with the evidence to prove it are silently dialing in prison without with the word being said about them being children, innocent and falsely in prison. Since that time, many people have come aboard this movement and have tried to skirt around the architects and taking us in a direction that has absolutely nothing to do with why I coined the phrase in the first place. These new converts, mostly lawyer types and white people, and their toady apologists have brought a French straddler's mentality into the mix and now are threatening to derail this movement to save face for the courts, which are constructed on systemic, unapologetic white supremacy. The children who are innocent was the birth of this movement, and now the French straddlers have veered off into talking about only guilty child deference and their hard pivoting into trying to talk about all deference while permanently killing all advocacy and strategic discussions on how to fight for and free the children who are innocent but still sentenced to die in prison by Pennsylvania's courts. This treasonous sleight of hand saves the court face. How so, you ask? By focusing on the guilty child deafers who have been resentenced and claiming to make it a reality for the adult deafers makes the court look merciful when in fact it is and always has been merciless. To fight for and free child innocent deference indicts the courts and all of its agents, particularly the current fence straddlers we have allowed to infiltrate and infect our movement. On C SPAN TV last week, the United States Supreme Court was holding oral argument for whether or not the well established child deference case of Miller and Montgomery actually applied to a child death. Imagine that. It came out that of the 2,800-plus child deference that existed prior to the Miller and Montgomery holding, there are only 60 of them left who have not been resentenced. But what the lawyers and judges on the court failed to mention is that many of the 60 child deference not resentenced are those who are innocent but being retaliated against for simply asserting the innocence. Not a single French straddler here today has said a f- one fucking word about this now or in the past. Saving face for the court and misleading you in a false direction will stop the original goal of freeing black and brown children who are innocent but still sentenced to die in prison. Many child deafers and regular prisoners who are guilty of the crimes for which they are in prison fail to see the relevancy of advocating for innocent child deafers but they must ask themselves this question. If the courts will go to this length to avoid admitting it's wrong, i.e., putting innocent children in prison, can you trust them or their agents amongst us when they say now they want to let scores of guilty adult murderers out from the bowels of the terror dome? I am Muti Adjamo Sabaru, a child from Pennsylvania's other death row, death by incarceration, engineered by the city of Philadelphia. P.S., Tonight, while penning this, I was sitting at a table watching a chess match in a room of over 300 people. Two of the men at the table were actually innocent child deference that had already served between them both a combined almost 75 years in illegal sentence and conviction. Not a single one of you fence straddlers, have so much as whispered one word of freedom in their defense or in their support or against the monstrosity that is the cannibalistic court system of Pennsylvania and its incestuous Philadelphia child. We are not fooled by you, nor are your Negro imps. Your days amongst the woke are numbered. Madowo comrades, Ahuru Sasa, Dada Dugu, melanin Love and Service, Muti 2244.
1: Up next, we have Kalfani Malik Khaldun calling in from Wabash Valley Correctional Facility. He was recently placed back on the Secure Housing Unit, or SHU. In this call, he explains how this process works, where he's able to be held for up to 45 days on mere suspicion, without actually being charged with a policy violation. He describes what being the shoe has done to him, including causing depression and delusions, therefore causing him to be medicated.
0: My name is Brother California, Marie Calvary. I'm calling in for Waldox Valley Correctional Facility, where I am being housed currently on the Secured Housing Unit, solitary confinement, at as Valley. The Secured Housing Unit is a y- unit that warehouses prisoners for an assortment of reasons. It's a disciplinary unit, as well as an administrative segregation unit used by the administration to ha- house prisoners that they consider to be uncontrollable, the worst of the worst. I was known recently, because I was terminated from my job, and I believe in the OSB building, I believe based on a series of of, uh, facts and evidence that due to my longstanding history of spending 20 years in segregation and having politically been active inside the Indiana Department of Corrections for years, my legal and civil battles has prompted the administration to target me for an assortment of reasons. I am currently being held under investigation. I have not been charged with any prison violation or any rule. The way that this process works is that if they have suspicion of me being involved in anything, they they can lock me up and hold me for approximately forty five days. And if they need any room for an extension, policy allows them to house me another 45 days, which is approximately 90 days. Then, at, th- at that point, they have to initiate a charge or, or start the process of releasing me back into general population or possibly transfer me to another fac- facility if they feel that I am, a a problem for them in their general population but there's also a political aspect to it if a prisoner is active organizing inside of one vaginal correctional facility with the intent of trying to change and bring change to these environments he can also be isolated or will be isolated for fear of agitating and organizing and educating prisoners to their conditions. So the political aspect is to to warehouse you out of the way so that you you are no longer an effective asset for the prisoners in the general population. This has happened to me on numerous occasions. Having spent the 20 years on lockup throughout the Indiana Department of Corrections, in 2003, I, I was sent here and put on the shoe and I stayed on the shoe for from two thousand three to two thousand twelve and for every unit of my intern on this unit I fought trying to be removed from this unit. But for political reasons and my activism, I was I was denied release. I was denied transfers. I even submitted transfers to be closer to home. Hardship transfers. All of them were denied for political reasons. It is it's evidence that proves that they want to keep me at all that Valley Correctional facility so that in the event that I am associated with any violence or any polit- major political activity, that they can warehouse me just like they have warehoused us on this shoe unit for political reasons. So, yes. This unit is most definitely used as a political tool against individuals fighting for justice and fighting to expose the, un- uh, unconst- the, the constitutional violations that take place. Psychologically, it had me suffering from depression, it had me experiencing delusions, it had me experiencing forms of you know, dr- dramatic fear, paranoia, schizophrenia, and as a result of my depression, I've been placed under numerous medications for it. They have been advised that this unit has created conditions of insanity in a lot of these prisoners, but they continue to use the same conditions and not change. The top class has now reached a harbor and warehouse prison back here on this unit. And as a result of that, many men have basically attempted to commit suicide and some have committed suicide.
1: Khaldun has spent years in the shoe and described the impacts of that time, including targeted trashing of his cell, denying him meaningful work opportunities, and other forms of isolation and coercion. They were
0: denying me access to meaningful to jobs. They were denying me access to programs that will allow me to you know, work on getting time cuts that would bring me closer to, closer to getting out and going home. I was also subjected to, to retaliation due to filing my civil lawsuits against them for, do, for doing such and my sales were targeted for sit, sit downs and they tore my sale up so bad that I filed documentation for it. As a result of that, I was given recently an, a sanitation job, to kind of minimize the disrespect that I was receiving. They had launched what we consider to be a safe fire drill with the intent of getting everybody out of the housing unit that I lived in to talk talk to myself. Upon the return of my cell, my cell was completely trashed. This is what they do when they want you to quiet down, when they want you to stop being an activist, and I want you to stop exposing them to the public. I wrote an article that exposed all the conditions that I was subjected to at Wabash Valley. And once this article hit the press all over the Internet, they began to target me again. Officers were walking up to me, threatening me. Other officers were... Shaking my cell, shaking my cell down. Other things were coming up missing, like mail, uh commissary orders were being denied, and things like that. So this is a, this has been a, a constant reality for me of being targeted due to my activism inside this Wallmas Rodic correctional facility. The job that they gave me, it was no doubt a good job. It, allowed me to be out of my cell 12 hours a day. It was therapeutic in a sense, but every day while working back there, I was on eggshells because a large majority of those who worked around me did not want me around them. And for some reason or another, they was waiting on an opportunity to catch me doing something that would be considered a reason to justify termination. And General Affairs recently did so. With that said, understand that as long as I am in the company and the custody of the Indiana Department of Corrections, I I will be a target. I will uh, be placed in these units. But the best thing that I got going for me right now is my ability to articulate what my situation is and to reach out to those who love me and support me to be my voice, to be my hands, to be my eyes, and to be my feet out there in the world and expose the conditions and the and the and the violations that they're subjecting me to as of right now. Uh, I definitely need your support.
1: Khaldun has recently filed a lawsuit regarding his conditions, after which followed a wrecking of his cell he also received the discovery on his case and found an unsettling set of internal emails and other correspondence from the administration about the ways in which he was being targeted and their attempts to silence him.
0: I received a series of internal emails that the administration had been sending to one another about their feelings toward me, about my, my activism and my my in of lawsuits, they are upset, they're tired of me, they make comments about giving me a job to silence me and, and make me quiet. One of the emails said that they wish that the job would, would make me shut my mouth. One, one of the emails stated that I was a gangbanger, that they would never allow me to be in a position where I would have influence over prisoners. And some of the other emails was like, uh, he's weak, uh, or he's, he thinks he's in control of this or that. So there was a lot of internal bickering going, going on with administrative officials, not knowing that I would eventually have these emails turned over to me from the federal court. What my plans are is once the case moves forward. We're going to release these emails on our website for all to see. So, everything I'm telling you now, you're going to be able to see yourself. The suit is moving forward. I believe that we're going to be successful. But I want to also advise you that housing me in the shoe completely isolates me from challenging my lawsuit. So th- all of this is tied together with the purpose of me being disconnected from the legal pro- process that would help me marshal my lawsuit forward. That's that's what I'm dealing with, with now. So we're going to have to press forward and make them compare some type of information. You have wow. one minute remaining. As to why they holding me on investigation because I need to get back access to the law library to file the challenge with my civil case.
1: This has been KiteLine. Anyone can reach us via our PO Box, KiteLine Radio, PO Box 2422, Bloomington, Indiana 47402. You can hear previous episodes of our show at wfhb.org forward slash KiteLine. For more information on the stories we air on KiteLine, check out kitelineradio.noblogs.org. If you or someone you care about has been affected by the prison system, you can call us to be interviewed or to record a message to be played on the air at 812-269-2512. We also want your feedback and to share your story. Feel free to write us at kiteline at wfhb.org. You can follow KiteLine Radio on all social media platforms. If you want to support our work, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash KiteLine Radio Show. Any funds raised beyond operating costs will be sent to folks on the inside. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community.